So we're going to read today from the Old Testament, Ruth, uh, verses 1 through 22. And we are continuing in the Old Testament with the women. And I'm so thrilled that today our attention and next week our attention will be with Ruth. And this story is placed in the time of Judges, before Israel God asked God to anoint a king. There are three important characters, Naomi, Boaz, and Ruth. We all recognize Ruth, the namesake of the book. But today I'm going to focus on Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law. So listen for the word of God to speak to you. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Melon and Chilon. They were Ephrathites from, the Bethle- from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. She was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And when they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Chilon also died. So that the women was le- were left without the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you, to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do thus to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. 
So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to, be, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I really appreciate that Reverend Dillenbeck chose a series about women of the Old Testament. And my timing to fill in for him couldn't have been better. Kind of like Ruth just happening to find Boaz's field at her first try. And if you don't know that reference, you'll have to come back next week for that part of the story. And I just want to mention giving women an opportunity. Notice this is quite a a group up here leading the service today. So I get to preach oh sorry, I get to preach on the book of Ruth, which is considered a short narrative or novella. And it may only be a few pages, but it is amazingly complicated. A story of human love, reflecting and enacting divine love, containing many symmetries with other biblical figures, and functioning on many levels of romance, family relationship, legal drama, and character or morality. And since we'll have a little more time to spend in the book, I'll start by sharing a bit about the Jewish religious importance and the time period of the Book of Ruth. Then we'll get to spend time to know two women important enough to dominate the narrative. First Naomi, then Ruth. From a religious perspective, and here's where I'm going to give some practice to my Hebrew, From a religious perspective, the book of Ruth is included in the Hebrew Bible in the five scrolls or the five five Megillot. And all five of the Megillot are traditionally read publicly in the synagogue over the course of the year in many Jewish communities. Other books in the Megillot would be Ecclesiastes, Esther, that Eric preached on, uh, Song of Songs. It is commonly printed in the Tanuk, and they appear in order, as they are read in the synagogue, on holidays, beginning with Passover. Now, the book of Ruth is read in some communities, especially the Ashkenazim, before the reading of the Torah in the morning of the Shavuot. And the Shavuot is commonly known in English as the Feast of the Weeks. It is a major Jewish holiday one of three pilgrimage festivals. In the Bible, the Shavuot marked the wheat harvest. The wheat harvest, there we go. In the land of Israel. It is, its date is directly linked to Passover. And the Torah mandates the seven-week counting of the Omer, beginning on the second day of Passover, to be immediately followed by the Shavuot. I find it interesting And you may have noticed another Jewish holiday closely aligned to an important Christian event. 
While Shavuot is sometimes referred to as Pentecost, simply due to its timing after Passover, and of course, Pentecost means 50 in Greek, and Shavuot occurring 50 days after the first day of Passover, it is not the same celebration as the Christian Pentecost, which also comes 50 days after Easter. But it does help me to understand why there were still so many Jews in Jerusalem. Remember, it is a major pilgrimage feast. And why they were there at the time of Pentecost, giving the opportunity for the good news to reach a large audience. And why Christ had them wait the 50 days for the Holy Spirit to come to them. Something to think about. Now, the book of Ruth takes place in the time of the judges. You'll find it in our Bible, uh, sandwiched in between uh, judges and, um, oh, who's the prophet? Samuel. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody might have shouted that out. Samuel. And it is between, it is following the fights of various tribes in the region for control of the territories. So the book of Judges establishes the time between Joshua going into Canaan and then Samuel starting up the monarchy with Saul. Now, to think of Israel as a unified nation at this time would be incorrect. There is a lot of social unrest and upheaval. And during this period, Israel comes in direct contrast to the Canaanite society a society set up as a city-state in which the social structure was a privileged ruling and a subject population. Where Israel is a tribal social system in which considerable power resides on the ground level with the extended family as they serve as the primary social and economic unit. And beyond it, the clan, like the shekels, and the tribe. Side note, many try to use judges to say that the inclusion of Deborah as a judge shows Israel to be supportive of women's rights. However, I think that is a misrepresentation of the material. The bulk of the book is mostly ambivalent and in a few places hostile to the women of that time. I'll let you go back and read Judges, and you can share with me how you interpret the stories. But knowing this helps me better understand a number of things about the social, cultural, and economic structure of the Book of Ruth. First, it opens up the idea that the people of different tribes, especially if there were some sort of treaty between them, could move about, mingle, and with no ban on marriages between Israelites and foreigners in early biblical times, they could marry. While there were still plenty of people that found the foreigner as inferior, This was not God's way. Second, thinking of Israel as a tribal society, I have a better understanding of the relationship between Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and the complicated laws of land ownership and relationship responsibilities in a clan and a tribe. But since this sermon and next week are going to be about the women, we won't go much into Boaz. It is the women who are the main characters, and it is their story that gives us insight into God's presence and purpose. 
So let's get down and talk about the book of Ruth. Usually the focus of a sermon is on Ruth, the Moabite great-grandmother of David. That'll be next week. Today we're going to talk look closer at Naomi, the mother-in-law. How many of you are singing that song right now in your head? Okay. Due to the famine and the traditional patriarchal structure, Naomi is a woman that had to leave her family and friends and follow her husband to seek a better life for themselves and their children, but in a strange land. How might this experience relate to your life or to the millions of lives of refugees in today's world? The family is at best fragile, experiencing many tragedies and traumas. And at this point, Naomi is faced with the difficult task of figuring out how to provide for herself and her two daughters, or excuse me, daughters-in-law, in a culture that gives very little to women. But in hearing that the situation in Judah is improved and the famine is over, Naomi makes a logical choice, and she returns. Now here we see a really familiar pattern of behavior of the old patriarchs being repeated. Abraham and Isaac had both left their land in times of famine, only to return when food was available again. So the three women set off at first look. One assumes the younger women are feeling duty-bound to accompany Naomi. It appears from the wording in verse 7 that all three women intend to make the journey entirely. But at some point, maybe early in the journey, Naomi has second thoughts about them going on together. And, you know, until I started doing a deeper dive into this book, I really didn't feel the deep, emotional, moving plea of Naomi's direction to her daughters-in-law. The language is better represented as Naomi begging them not to follow her. Naomi openly shows her own vulnerability and fears by describing her limited state of being, unable to provide for them. She stresses that if she could, she would gladly remarry and have children to fulfill their Leverite marriage laws. But the fact is, she's too old and tries to make them see the hopelessness of looking to her for support. Naomi goes further as to invoke a farewell blessing, praying that God will deal kindly with them as they have with her. Finally, Naomi prays that God will provide them with security of a new husband. This is a realistic and prudent prayer for the time, for Israel's society had a minimal structure set up for the well-being of unmarried adult women. And in that culture, and in this story, it also presumes the same of the Moabite culture. And finally, this moment ends with Naomi's farewell kiss and much weeping. I start to think about Naomi who's thinking about what she cannot give them. But she's not thinking about what they may give her. She's focused on giving, but not thinking about receiving. Where does that sit with us? 
How many people do we know, including ourselves, that just won't take help, won't ask for it, but are the most giving, wonderful people you know? I think Naomi might have been sitting in that space a little bit. But some other interpretations of Naomi's speech and decision to send the women back to their families are said to be of a self-interest, hoping not to be burdened with any further reminder of her family's failed expedition to Moab. But I say, after all she's been through, if I were in her shoes, would I not consider the difficulties to come when they return to Judah? Have you ever been in a situation where you've had to consider the cost of your time and resources in helping to take responsibility for someone? I have. And there were times when I said yes, times when I said no. If there was some sense of self here, I can't fault Naomi for that. That feels very human to me. I think... I start to feel the depths of Naomi's pain, the depth of her despair, when the two women return to Bethlehem, and Naomi quickly cuts short the celebration. Perhaps overcome by memories of past happiness in Bethlehem, she could not bear to be called Naomi, which means pleasant or lovely. Far more important in her view, she was Mara, meaning bitter. And she blamed God for her bitter experience. You see, in those days, one believed the God of Abraham had been promised a great destiny. God ruled over the cosmic order, and so it followed that he must have been responsible for the tragedy that had overtaken her. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord who gave and whose characteristics it is to give, had inexplicably taken away her loved ones. Moreover, she interpreted this action as a sign of his displeasure. For the Lord has afflicted me, means has testified against me, as if in a court. I think this way of thinking of God is still in this world. I've had several conversations with veterans in my work as a chaplain in which they express the idea that God is punishing them for the things they did or didn't do in their past. This is a hard place to be. And one of the directions I hope to take the conversation is to understand what kind of God they believe in. We explore the difference in a punishing God versus a loving God. A God of judgment versus a God of compassion, forgiveness, and grace. And these are not short conversations, and some have taken place over many months. But as I prepared this sermon, the conversation seemed parallel how the people of Naomi's time and Naomi herself understood their relationship with God and tried to reconcile the pains of their lives through the lens of punishment and reward. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. So I can sit with others that are working out that same feeling, learning to forgive themselves and others within the traumas and tragedies multitudes of people experience.
In this way, this story, Naomi, shares a very important theme of chesed, a loyalty or a faithfulness born out of a sense of caring and community. Chesed is a Hebrew term used to describe God's relationship to Israel as well as the relationship among members of a family or community, a loving kindness. All of the main characters of the book, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, act with chesed. So let's not leave Naomi in a bitter state, feeling abandoned by God. Though the story takes its name from Ruth, Naomi is the dominant character. She is portrayed as a woman who both challenges and conforms to the patriarchal expectations. Regardless of her position concerning the patriarchy, she effectively controls the situation in which she is a part. I want to believe that she is caring, always, and gracious in an altruistic mother-in-law, which I hope to be, or I hope I am. It's just the circumstances that start to overshadow her true nature, her true self. For Naomi learns from the tragedies and traumas and allows her true nature of an open heart and caring spirit to lead her. And we witness Naomi and Ruth each seeking the good of the other in a world over which they actually have little control. I found Naomi to be a profound figure of faith who experiences God first as an enemy but then wrestles blessings from adversity. That sounds a little bit like another biblical figure. Jacob wrestling the angel of God for a blessing. You can find that one in Genesis 28. For us Christians, this book has several major themes. First, to establish the genealogy of the Christ. Boaz and Ruth's son, Obed, was the grandfather of David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. Second, the book of Ruth exemplifies the message of Jesus that all are included, Jew and foreigner, as God's people. And third, we see the interplay of God's purpose and will with humans' decisions and will, like Elimelech's decision to go and Naomi's decision to return. We see how God weaves together our experiences and our faithful obedience as God's people to bring about God's redemptive purpose in the world. And fourth, how God is involved in the day-to-day joys and hardships of our lives. With that, we are invited to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, the mundane, the details of our lives. Naomi and Ruth were women who, without even knowing it, changed the world by living out a life of selfless love and dedication to each other. So like Naomi, no matter how bleak life seems now, we too may look back and be surprised to see where and how 
God was working all along. Let's build faith that God is always present, always at work in this world. Amen. So this will be continued next week with Ruth. Hope to see you there.